This morning, we are in part two of a new series out of Ephesians chapter six called Unseen, talking about the spiritual world and spiritual warfare. Uh, And for those who want to dive a little bit deeper, you'll notice on the back of your notes uh, is uh, further resources and two that I just wanted to draw your attention to. One is this is a Christian classic. Actually, they're both Christian classics. Um, One is the Screwtape Letters. Uh, This is a fascinating, incredible read uh, by C.S. Lewis. If you've never read it, I would encourage you to pick it up and read it. Excellent, excellent book. Um, the second is The Invisible War by my dad, an, an, another Christian classic. Uh, but if you want to unpack a little bit more and dive in more than we, what we are able to cover in a four-part series, and invite you to check this out. Anybody want to dive in a little bit deeper? Anybody want to know? Hey, all right, here you go, Lewis. There you go. The rest of you were too slow. Last week, we said this. Everything physical is always preceded by something spiritual. Everything physical and invisible is always preceded by something spiritual. Though you cannot see the invisible realm, you can certainly see its effects, just like we see the effects of air and gravity. We said this, that we are in a spiritual battle. We have a very real enemy. However, in Christ, we do not fight for victory, but from victory. As we celebrate a Memorial Day weekend, honor those who fought for our freedom and the opportunities that we get to have in America, I find it incredibly appropriate that we are going to be talking about defining the war. Defining the war that we're in. And every military person knows this. You cannot win the war unless you have effectively defined the war. You cannot be effective uh, if you don't know who your enemy is. C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters in his prologue writes this, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both heirs and hail a, ma- a materialist or a magician with the same delight. When I was nine years old, we moved one summer around this time from Kaufman, rural Texas, to Santa Cruz, California. I was a little hick boy and a still cowboy fan. Yeah, get over it. We're winning the Super Bowl this year. Um, Niners ain't. Oh, too low. Too low? Below the belt? Below the belt? Okay, okay. Anyways, we moved from Kaufman to Santa Cruz, Surf City. And those of you who know Santa Cruz and have hung out a little bit realize and recognize Santa Cruz is an incredibly spiritual city. It's filled with the occult. It's filled with a fascination with New Age, with Wicca. And our family was woefully unprepared. 
My dad was a new pastor in town. And we began to experience things in Santa Cruz that we only heard about in stories. I remember one day walking with my dad uh, downtown and having someone who identified themselves as a witch begin to yell at us and pray against us in the name of Satan. That's intense when you're 11 or 21 or 31. I, I remember that there was a witch that was across the street from our uh, church building, and she literally hung a horse's head, putting, trying to put a hex on the church in her backyard facing towards our church. I mean, Santa Cruz, you know, is weird. Everybody knows it, but we got to experience some of the dark underbelly of it. I mean, every single Halloween, we would bring in our animals, and this is not an exaggeration. You can talk to my buddy who's a cop at, uh, in Santa Cruz as well, that we'd bring in our animals. Animals, because there would be people who would steal animals from backyards to do animal sacrifice during Halloween as a celebration of the satanic arts. In high school, I can remember experiencing such visual, demonic um, manifestations that quite literally, my 10th and 11th grade year of high school, I'm a young, strapping boy, that I was so scared. Uh, like, not just weird demonic dreams, like visual demonic presence, like stuff moving. So when we talk about defining the war, for me, this is not theory. This is reality. And for all too many believers, this has just become something that's been connected to fairy tale and fiction instead of realizing we are in a spiritual battle. We have a very real enemy. And unless we define the war, we will not be effective. That's why the Apostle Paul pens in Ephesians chapter 6 to the church in Ephesus the following words. Ephesus, by the way, was a center for the occult in the ancient day. It's Santa Cruz on steroids. He writes, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Why? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In defining the war, there's really two critical questions we need to ask and answer. The first is, who is it we are in a war against? What are these rulers and authorities, these powers of this dark world? What is that all about? And the second, 
just as important is where is this war taking place? I just want to spend our time talking about those two things. For some, you know the old uh, version, principality, powers, and world rulers. I want to take a season and talk about these um, descriptions of, okay, who exactly are we in this war again? What are these spiritual forces of evil? And then where is the war taking place? And it talks about the heavenly realms. What are these spiritual forces of evil? We talked a large bit about it last week when talking about Satan. But demons are angels who re- rebelled against God and who are now actively working to bring out evil in the world. We said last week that Satan led a rebellion against God, tried to be God, and a third of the angels followed him in his rebellion. And so we have a very real enemy, Satan and his demons, And what we need to know about Satan and the demonic realm is first that these spiritual forces of evil, they're powerful. They're powerful. You know, we get in our mind's eye that this cartoonish, red-suited devil, this playful devil, that couldn't be further from the truth, that they are powerful and fierce and ferocious warriors. Even when we think of angels, we think of them as little babies. What a stupid concept. Oh, my goodness. We're talking about incredibly powerful spiritual beings, fierce warriors. Like when we talk about the angelic host, and and we sing that at Christmas time, it's the angelic army is what we're talking about. We're talking about warriors of God. And on the flip side, you see that the demonic world, the spiritual forces of evil. They are powerful. The second is they are organized. You noticed, uh, in fact, in Daniel, you see this unpacking where Daniel prays and, and God answers his prayer and sends a messenger, sends an angel, and yet he was delayed. And he was delayed, and the, the angel's explaining it, the archangel Michael's explaining this, that he was delayed because the prince of Persia, that there somehow is this organization system going on in the demonic realm that they're actually not just kind of going loosey-goosey, but there's an organization behind it. There's people in power or demons in power over certain regions. And the prince of Persia opposed them and he had to call back up in so that he could get the message of the already answered prayer to Daniel. Now, some in the effort to unpack the organization and even in our verse when we're talking about here authorities, powers and rulers and spiritual forces have gone into great detail exactly what that looks like. However, the Bible does not. And though for some, perhaps it could be incredibly accurate and true. I don't know. It's just speculation. What we know about how organized the demonic realm is, is very little, in fact. And so I don't want to go beyond what the Bible says on this, except to realize that we have a powerful enemy who's organized, who, who isn't just kind of haphazardly going about this and going like, well, you know, no, 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 there, there is a system, there's a chain of command. And then they are fundamentally destroyers. Their goal is to destroy all that is good in God's creation. John 10.10 says this, The thief comes to kill, steal, and, help me out, destroy. 
So by the way, with non-believers, the Apostle Paul would say that the God of this age has blinded men to him. That the way he destroys those who don't know him is to blind them from true reality, to blind them from the good news of the gospel. And for us, those who are believers, his way to destroy, he wants to destroy your integrity. He wants to destroy your relationships. He wants to destroy anything that is healthy or noble or good. He wants to destroy your concept of your identity in Christ, because if you get that right, you get everything else right at the same time. And yet, The good news is they are limited. They are powerful. They are organized. They are destroyers. Yet they are limited. James tells us, the brother of Jesus writes, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Last week, one of the verses we had in the notes was that um, greater is that is in you than he that is in the world, that these are created beings and as a result have limitations. And so these spiritual forces of evil, they're powerful, they're organized, they're destroyers, and yet they are limited in scope and effectiveness. So what does a spiritual attack look like? Well, there's two ways of spiritual attack. The first is an overt attack. The goal is fear and intimidation. This can be a physical manifestation Demonic dreams, an overwhelming presence of evil, even objects moving. I remember uh, one guy who came in that was, um, this is years ago in Chicago, was asking for help in his spiritual life. And he says, man, every time I pray, I mean, just stuff in my room starts to circle. I'm like 23 at the time. I'm going, that's weird. That ain't normal. I started asking him some questions about his home life. You know what his mom was? A practicing witch. It's like, yeah, she contacts the dead and is a fortune teller and all these, and it was like, well, uh, hello, um, I know why you're experiencing that, and you need to get out of your house. You will always experience that oppression in there, and part of the attacks are overt attacks. Santa Cruz being a deeply spiritual place in the occult, often experience overt spiritual attacks. In fact, my high school years, I remember having this thought. Not only did I sleep with the lights on in high school, which is really embarrassing to admit, by the way, but hello, it was, it was freaky. But then I had this thought, and I lived this way for a while, because I realized what was connected to these overt attacks was my following of Jesus. And so I just said, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to live like hell because I'm tired of hell hitting me. And so I did for a season. It destroyed my peace, destroyed my relationships, destroyed the things that I valued here. And I finally came to this crossroads. I remember this so clearly because it was a moment when I finally, as, as a senior in high school, gave my, uh, gave my life fully to Jesus. And I remember saying this to God. 
Because I knew what it cost to follow him fully, to step into the battle, to realize that we have a very real enemy. I remember saying, okay, Jesus, come hell or high water, I'm following you because nothing else will ever satisfy. And I want no one more than you. You lead the way and I'm going. I haven't looked back. The nature of these attacks sometimes is, is overt, but oftentimes it is covert. We often experience spiritual attack, and yet it is covert. It isn't in disguise. The goal is to discourage you. A discouraged believer is a defeated believer. To bring doubt. God doesn't really love you, want you. God's not really good. How, how do you even know there is a God? To derail you. To somehow knock you off your path of following Jesus. Often that has that temptation that we're talking about. How can I lure you? The word iniquity, by the way, in the Bible literally means to grow crooked. It's the Hebrew word. It's just of a tree that just grew crooked or out. Of, and we all have a natural bent away from God. And it looks a little bit different. And some of us, it looks a little bit the same. But this natural bent away from God. And when we give our lives to the gospel, it is this pulling us back into alignment with Jesus. And what happens is the enemy wants to attack our natural bent away from God to derail us in our pursuit of becoming more like Jesus. In the church, his primary goal is disunity, by the way. That's why Jesus, did you know he prayed for you? Did you know that? Like Jesus, your Savior, actually prayed for you. In John chapter 17, he prayed for you. And this was his prayer for you and for me and for the church that would be after he ascended into heaven. I pray that they may be one, even as the Father and I are one. And you know what the enemy wants to do? He wants to promote little divisions, little annoyances. Oh, let's get them focused on doctrinal errors. And we have the fragmentation of all these denominations, not because we don't agree about Jesus, but we can't agree about predestination. Not because we don't believe that Jesus is the only way that his life and death bring salvation for all who believe. No, no, no. We have fragmentation because of what you can eat or drink. <laughs> See, he wants to bring disunity into our lives. And it is covert. It is this enemy's primary strategy, I believe, in America is this covert attack. And by the way, demons, Satan, they can't read your mind. They certainly can try to plant thoughts in your mind. Certainly try to whisper things and go, So what are spiritual forces of evil? They're powerful, organized, destroyers. They're limited. What does spiritual attack look like? Well, you have covert attack, goal, fear, and intimidation. Covert attack, discouragement, doubt, derailment, disunity. And I think one of the questions that naturally arises that we should answer here is, can a person be demon-possessed? 
And you see this in the movies, you see, you know, the exorcisms and all these sort of things. And unfortunately, because Hollywood has controlled the narrative, it has turned into a fictional idea. We see throughout the ministry of Jesus and the early church that there were those who were demon-possessed. And demonic possession still happens today. By the way, it's very difficult, I believe, at times to discern the difference between what is a mental illness and what is demonic possession. Satan and his demons can only enter where they have been invited. And so when one dabbles in the occult with Wicca, with tarot cards, with palm reading, with Ouija boards, when they try to connect the dead, they are opening themselves up to the influence of the enemy. One morning early morning here. I don't know. I can't remember. I think it was like six, seven months ago. This lady walks through that door right here and immediately you could tell something was off. And it's like 7.45. The band's just setting up all this stuff. And I, I'm actually usually, I, I wasn't teaching that weekend. I was playing drums, which is kind of fun. But I, I, but I, I normally not here that early. I'm normally off-site prepping but I happened to be here. I'm so thankful I did. And, and I, I kind of walk her outside because you could tell something was off. And just walk, being next to her, you could just sense the presence of evil. And so I just began to pray in my spirit, not really sure how to approach this. And immediately as I began to pray, she turned to me and began to cast curses on me in the name of Satan, Beelzebub to be Specific, and this is a very weird encounter where she literally, like, we're standing right up there. She put her hand right here, and I could feel a burning sensation on my chest that lasted for a while. I had to go to some other people for prayer on that. And as I began to pray in that moment, you go, okay, can people be demon-possessed? Absolutely. It still happens to this day. That lady who walked in here was a demoniac. But the question is, can a believer be demon-possessed? And the short answer is no. You are filled with the Spirit of God, the indwelling Spirit of God, and so no evil spirit can fill you. And while you cannot be possessed, there are some who have invited demonic oppression in their life. Some who, whether it's outright spiritual rebellion, habitual sin, dabbling in the occult, James would say this, or not James, but the Apostle Paul a little bit earlier in Ephesians would say, and do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and so give the devil a foothold. See, I I think part of the enemy's tactics is for us to diminish or dismiss what sin really is and the consequences of it. And so that we go, you know what, it's not that big of a deal. Or I'm justified. What are these spiritual forces of evil? Demons and angels. What are spiritual attacks and these overt, covert attacks? Can a person be demonically possessed? Well, that's principalities, powers, and world rulers. Aren't you glad you showed up to church this morning? In defining the war, we not only need to look at who we are uh, against, who the enemy is, we also need to understand where the war is taking place. It's so important. And I'll tell you why it's so important. 
on Thursday, there's a game happening. <laughs> Do you know where that game is taking place? In Oakland. It's a really big deal that the Warriors have home court advantage in the series against the evil Cavaliers. <laughs> But here's what we know. You see it in the sports world, but it definitely is a big deal in the military world. Where the war takes place determines how you engage in the war. And we have to know where the war is taking place. That's why the Apostle Paul says our battle isn't against flesh and blood. Your ultimate problem isn't people, but against the spiritual forces. Against the rulers and authorities. Where? Where is it taking place? In the heavenly realms. And though we see the effects of this war in the physical realm, the war is fundamentally taking place in the heavenly realm. Now, when we think about the heavenly realm, or at least when I've thought about the heavenly realm, I've thought of this far-off place in a galaxy far, far away. The way the Apostle Paul in the New Testament writes about the heavenly realm, the heavenly realm is not something far away, but it is the unseen spiritual reality that is all around us. Just as the air envelops our world, so too the heavenly realm envelops our world and is all around us all of the time. And so our battle is against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm, the unseen spiritual reality all around us. Now, here's something really cool. Did you know that the Apostle Paul actually talks about the heavenly realm four different times in the book of Ephesians? This is the fifth. It says that our battle is in the spiritual realm against the spiritual forces of evil. But he talks about it four other times. And for us to really understand, okay, where the war is taking place and what we have available, we got to look at those four other places. Because in the heavenly realm, by the way, God has given you every spiritual blessing. I think this is... A lack of understanding this idea is one of the reasons we have so many defeated Christians walking around. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Where? 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 Help me. In the heavenly realms. In the unseen spiritual reality that is all around us. With every spiritual blessing in Christ. So there is no spiritual blessing that God has withheld from you, by the way. Not one spiritual blessing that God said, well, you're pretty good, <laughs> but not good enough. I'm going to hold that one back. <laughs> no spiritual blessing has God withheld from you. You already have everything you need. All that God 
will ever do for you, he's already done for you and is available with every spiritual blessing. In the heavenly realm, God has given you every spiritual blessing. In the heavenly realm, Christ is seated there in authority and power and victory. I pray The Apostle Paul would say that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand where? I want to go on. I couldn't fit all this passage in your notes. He is seated in the heavenly realm where far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And in the heavenly realm, Christ is presently seated in control because he is the king and ruler of everything. And in the heavenly realm, you are seated with him. Like you're seated with him. Listen, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God, what? Raised us up with Christ, which is fantastic news because you're no longer dead in your transgressions. And then seated us with him, where? In the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. And if you want to hear about in Christ Jesus, listen to last week's sermon. In the heavenly realms, you are now seated with Christ. You, by the way, are not a second-class citizen. You are a first-class citizen of heaven. Your physical body is on earth, but you have a heavenly birth certificate, by the way. And you are presently seated with Christ. And in the heavenly realm, you have every spiritual blessing. Christ is presently seated, and you're actually located with him. Your position right now and in the heavenly realm is God's army of angels. You are not on your own in this battle. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mercy. In fact, Peter would talk about the administration of this mercy, his gospel, the gospel of Jesus, that somehow God would show his affection and attention to the human race in such a way that he'd become a man and die on the cross for the payment of our sin that we might have life and be co-heirs with him. He would talk about this administration of mercy that angels long to look at it. Like they're peering into this and going, man, what's going on? We can't wait to see what happens next, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to rulers and authorities, that is the angelic realm, in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, 
our Lord. In the heavenly realm, every spiritual blessing. In the heavenly realm, Christ is seated. In the heavenly realm, you are seated with Christ. And in the heavenly realm, God's army of angels. You are not on your own. In fact, the author of Hebrews said, are not all angels ministering spirits sit to serve those who will inherit salvation? In the Old Testament, there's this really fascinating story about this prophet named Elisha. You can pick it up in uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. Now, Elisha was a prophet post this time of David and Solomon. But it's during the kingdom of Israel. And, And during that time... God was doing some incredible things in his life or through his life and miracles. And during that time, Israel was actually in a battle. They were in a war with, against the king of Aram. And the king of Aram was constantly trying to root around and attack Israel. And yet Elisha kept giving insider information to the king of Israel where to go and what to do. So much that the king of Aram pulls around his people and says, okay, who among us is a spy? And they finally go, no, 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 here's the deal. None of us are a spy. But what Israel has, they have an Elisha. We don't have an Elisha. They have an Elisha. He is a man of God, and he hears from God, and he keeps telling the king of Israel what your next step is. In fact, it's as if he has an ear to your bedroom. You can hear what's happening in the inner chambers. Well, kings don't like hearing things like that. And so, and so he says, okay, take an army and take out Elisha. Take an army. And take out Elisha. And so the army goes to where Elisha is and surrounds him at night. His servant walks out, looks out, and notices that they're surrounded and rushes in. Says, Elisha, Elisha, we're surrounded. (laughs) Okay, this is not good. You've done some pretty great things over the course of your life, but hello, we got hundreds of military men surrounding us. We're dead. And Elisha says this phrase to his servant. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now imagine being Elisha's servant. All right, so I'm, I'm not great at math. <laughs> not, not real strong, Elisha, but I don't think you're better at math than I. We, we got two. We'll do a recount. Two, okay. We got two. Hundreds around us. Two. Those that are with us. I don't see anybody with us. And this is what Elisha does. He prays to God. He says, God, would you open my servant's eyes so that he could see what is reality? 
And God opens the servant's eyes. And what the servant sees is surrounding those who were surrounding them was chariots of fire. Surrounding those that were surrounding them, the impossible situation in front of them, the hopeless situation in front of them, the no way out situation in front of them, but with heavenly eyes because of a heavenly round surrounding those that were surrounding them was a heavenly army of chariots of fire because those that are with them is more than those that are against. I just wonder. I just wonder what things you have given up on that God has placed in your heart. I just wonder what dreams that you felt impossible because it looked impossible. I just wonder what thing was so discouraging that you gave up and that you quit. I just wonder if those moments when you felt alone and by yourself, and that no one was with you. I just wonder what would change if God was able to give you heavenly eyes. Oh, man, man. That you would begin to approach life with this. I have every spiritual blessing in Christ. I have every spiritual blessing in Christ. So I go forward blessed. That is my position. And Christ is presently seated in the heavenly realms, and I'm seated with him, and surrounding me is heaven's army. And so, hello, God, you call me, and wherever you go, I'll follow. Come hell or high water. And so, you may feel surrounded. You may feel defeated, discouraged, overwhelmed. Or ready to throw in the tell. And this is my prayer for you. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. In Jesus' name.